Today on Fortified, a historical view of New Year's Eve, and it ain't pretty. A politician stands down on the issue of the OK sign, losing your virginity, hero or victim. And we have determined that at least one couple is absolutely ready to love, as he asked her to... In my jagged edge voice, all you got to do is say yes and join us for 30 minutes of news and perspective on 45. V from the D and CC Power represent team 40s and 50s with topics to fortify Generation X. We share the black experience and perspective to help you stay relevant because what you learned back then may not be the same in today's world. Join us as we hashtag Rethink Grown at 45 Show, the number 40 F-I-E-D Show, everywhere podcasts are found. So CC Power, there are 48 hours left in this decade. What are you thinking as we roll into 2020? V, everything is just going so fast and this year is blown by so fast. Um, I really hadn't had time to reflect, but I think I will probably within the next 24 hours as I get ready to bring in the new year and just reflect on everything that's happened, um, how blessed I am, things that I want to improve upon going into the new year. Um, So I I think that that's probably the direction I'll be headed probably within the next 24 hours. How about yourself? Same here. It's a good time to evaluate and celebrate is the way I look at it. You got to get some celebration in. And at the same time, you want to take a look back, but only for a moment. I'm not a big fan on looking backwards, um, but I'm absolutely looking forward to this new decade and everything it has to offer. So here's an interesting story that I found, and I want to share this as we jump into hot topics. But first, Marvie, happy almost new year. Can you give us the horn? So speaking of New Year's Eve, a interesting article from Time Magazine crossed my timeline today. This is the story of New Year's Eve from a historical perspective. So according to an African-American abolitionist and journalist, William Cooper Nell, New Year's Day actually used to be widely known as Hiring Day or Heartbreak Day. The reason why is because enslaved people spent New Year's Eve waiting to determine if their owners were going to rent them out to someone else, thus potentially splitting up their families. As we know, this was a common and very profitable practice in the South. Some were put up for auction. Others were put under contract. And a lot of these deals were actually made on New Year's Eve with the transaction, literally the handing over of family members taking place on New Year's Day. This day has a long and troubling history that quite frankly, I had not heard much about. I was always familiar with Watch Night and the concept of Watch Night, which was New Year's Eve 1862, which was just before the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect, which basically freed slaves in the Confederate States. But had you heard about this previously, Cece? No, I hadn't heard about it. So it was an interesting article. And so I was educated by that as well. But it's not surprising because, as you know, throughout our history and our existence here in America as Black people, there are a lot of things that we celebrate And we really don't understand the history behind it from the 4th of July to Thanksgiving. So I just saw this part and parcel with the kind of the way that things are in America until we find out the real truth. 
Absolutely. You learn something new every day. This one was really interesting. And I would recommend as a source that you all take a look at time.com. The article is written by Olivia Waxman, and she quotes several sources, including one uh, forthcoming book by Alexis McCrossan called Time's Touchstone, The New Year in American Life. Very interesting story, interesting read, and really gave me pause in terms of how we so-called celebrate New Year's Eve and the historical view behind that. So moving on to current topics in politics, we had an occurrence this week on Twitter. Interesting scenario where South Carolina Representative Mandy Powers Norrell walked back a previously posted retweet of a post that charged that military cadets allegedly flashed white nationalist hand signals during the Army-Navy game back in November. If you're a football fan and you watch this game, then you are certainly familiar with the story that several of the cadets were flashing these signs. A mere week later, a sheriff in New Mexico allegedly flashed the same sign in a since-deleted Instagram post. As we were preparing for the show today, I posed the question to CeCe Power. I said, you know, we could report on these stories daily as they become very prevalent. And so my question to him, why should I, as a person of color and specifically a black person, be concerned about this issue? And further, what do we say to our children who are growing up in a more multicultural society than we did, which implies that they might be less inclined to see this as problematic? Yeah, that's a great question, V. I think we should be concerned as a black people because I think that people who choose to display that hand gesture in case that they're aligned with white nationalist movement or white supremacists because the three fingers in the OK shows a W, which stands for white, and then the P, which is the OK circular part with the extension of the arm, that is to identify power. So like white power. So they use that signal. And I think as a people, we need to be interested in finding out or identifying who these people are so we know what their ideologies are and we can connect the dots when we're interacting with these people in all walks of life. Because oftentimes these people are people in our workplace people in organizations. You mentioned cadets in the military. I mean, these are people that you have to be in situations where it's a life or death type of issue. And you're potentially on the front line with another cadet. And he may have these feelings towards minorities or African-Americans. And I think it's worthwhile knowing who these people are. Number one, knowing who they are. Number two, getting rid of them. They shouldn't exist in these organizations because if they ascend to the rankings and now they're in leadership positions, we know how this can affect the matriculation, advancement of black people and just outright discrimination. So I think from the workplace to all facets of life, I think it's worthwhile knowing about who these people are. Yeah, it's an interesting scenario because on the one hand, we're saying we want to recognize who the people are. On the other hand, you want to hold them accountable. And, and the ultimate question is, how does that accountability work? Who holds them accountable and how? How is that going to be done? I would love to hear from our listeners on that one. So make sure you all post comments as it relates to this topic on our Instagram or our Twitter account. Let us know what your thoughts are on the South Carolina representative walking back her comments. Some suspect that the comments or the tweet was pulled or rescinded, if you will, because of potential legal action. I'm not sure. 
Be that as it may, it is an important issue as this becomes more commonplace in our society. If you like what you hear, join us at hashtag Rethink Grown at 45 Show, the number 40 F-I-E-D show. Everywhere podcasts are found. New episodes drop every Throwback Thursday. And now it's time for Ready to Love. Now I'm ready. I'm ready to love. 45 brings you a weekly rewind of the reality show Ready to Love. V from the D and CC Power have had this friendly kind of debate or competition going, and I had to take an L last week about this reality show in which 20 featured singles in Atlanta are on their search for love. The show airs on OWN on Saturday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. So the season is basically over. We are at part two of the Ready to Love reunion. And I'm still about 38 hot right now, CeCe Power. (laughs) I'm not really done talking about Mario and Reva. But I'm going to take a side step for just a moment. And I'm going to congratulate instead of hate out the gate. (laughs) So we have... Within the cast, the very first engagement of a couple from the show Ready to Love. I want to give it up to Aisha and Mike. It seems that while the men claimed Aisha was not ready to love, they thought she was pushy. They said she was in everybody's face. They accused her of trying to get in where she fit in and that she was coming on too strong. The double standard was real because the ladies felt that she was unfairly judged. I don't care what y'all have to say. Mike said, y'all may not like it, but I love it. And he put a ring on it. They are officially engaged per a post by nephew Tommy this past weekend during Christmas. So congratulations to them. Very happy to see that we at least got one in the win column in the second season. That's a good look. Now, let's get back to Mario and Tommy and Reva. (laughs) Yes, I'm still taking this L. However, a lot of (laughs) updates this week as both Mario and Tandy got on social media to react to some of the comments that are posted on their social media accounts during the show. At one point, it reached a fever pitch where Mario's account dropped off or seemingly disappeared. Reva's account disappeared. Tandy went live. All that is to say, it was really messy. As the second part of the reunion aired, you see interviews or basically the men talking about the situation And their bottom line is that, you know, one said Reva played chess, not checkers, that she actually earned Mario. The other said that no matter what Mario did, he was going to catch it no matter what on the reunion show. The women felt like, first of all, Mario never really chose Reva. He had the option of choosing her earlier in the season. But no matter how this played out, Reva was still number two. Basically, they boiled it down to karma And they left it at that. What I found very interesting, Cece, as they were explaining themselves, Reva and Mario talk about the fact that Mario only contacted her two days after he broke up with Tandy. So your timeline is that you break up with Tandy and in two weeks, you establish such a connection with Reva that y'all jet off and go to Mexico for a vacation? Nah, player, hit me again with that. Come on, Cece, explain your boy. 
So, oh, my he, bad. He's not your boy. <laughs> no, he, no, he. That was not my boy. If you recall, that was your boy. But whatever. Okay, since you've disowned him, Mario. As far as the timeline and what he and Reva tried to address, it's questionable and it's not typical. So it seems like they may be hedging some stuff there. You keep coming back to the issue between Mario and Reva and Tandy. I'm sorry. Be like Elsa and Frozen and let it go. Let it go. <laughs> what? Just let it go. No. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Reva was not number two. She was chosen by Mario. Mario chosen dropped Tandy. I'm I'm sorry. Chosen Mario second. dropped Tandy and got with Reva. That is not number two. That is your dude kicked you to the curb and then got with someone else. Someone else who actually said, I'm leaving. I'm dropping out of the competition. You can have her. So this is all on Mario. The, the animosity and the hostility that I see towards Reva is a head-scratcher for me. I get it a little bit. I'm not saying that Reva is absolved of any type of wrongdoing. She Thank did a little you. bit. We, we address that, but a little bit. We have to talk about to what degree. Most of the onus and wrongdoing should be on Mario. So that aside, I want to also talk a little bit about, you mentioned Mike and Aisha. Yes. Congratulations to them. They look like a great couple, and I hope that they would stand trials and tribulations of a regular relationship and, and, and move on to have a successful marriage because now they're engaged. Yep. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think that she moved from man to man like the dudes suggested that she was moving. And if you recall, we had that conversation after that episode when they were outside by the pool. I called it out then. I disagreed with it. I was like, mm, I'm not sure if I agree with the brothers saying that she moved like that. She might have been a little bit too pushy for Brent because Brent wasn't necessarily feeling her that way. And Brent kind of fessed up to it. But the mere fact that she also kind of flirted a little bit with Mario, that didn't seem to be too much for me. So I think that in that regard, she got a bad rap, but I'm glad ultimately she found true love and, and Mike and they look like they're happy together. But I want you to address the brother John who just showed up married. Like, <laughs> yeah, bruh, for real. And wasn't he like the celibate brother? Yes, brother? Yeah. he was. Okay, so so the story goes, and this is the part that kind of burned me up about the previews. They spent a lot of time running this clip with Tommy saying, and you're married. Okay, so take that out of it for a second. John was eliminated on the very first show. I will say in large part because he announced to the group that he had been celibate for two years. Now he shows up on the reunion show and talks about how he had just been talking to a young lady at the time that the auditions came up for Ready to Love or, or the casting opportunity came up for Ready to Love. And he is now married to this woman. From his perspective, he had a possible coming into the show. And then when he got eliminated, he fast forwarded. And now at the reunion, he's very married and, oh, by the way, very happy. I, I got nothing, bruh. Yeah. You know what? You like it? I love it. <laughs> it just doesn't add up. It's just strange. It's bizarre. And he was like, he was talking to this woman, a friend, prior to while he was on the show. And then afterwards, it all just came to a head where he saw her beauty and it was that was it. And <laughs> I'm like, bruh, that just doesn't sound right. I wish you the best. But as I always say, what you say, I'm always negative. You're like, who is going to make it? Good luck. I don't think it's going to work. 
<laughs> well, I will say this. It, it is plausible that you could have an awakening by putting yourself in a situation with 19 other singles to see how you fare. And maybe once he realized that his situation with being celibate was not going to play out well amongst that crowd, he was actually thankful and realized what he had and made a move. I don't maybe, know. Maybe that's it. That could be the angle. But if Reva is number two, what does that make his wife? Look, we ain't talking about his wife, and Reva's still number two, so no. Next. I'm hating on Reva. (laughs) So basically, you know, we're going to move on from Reva at this point and let that lie. Let's talk about London and Divine. So now, and Brennan Alexis. So basically, you have the four of them on the two couches. There was a lot going on in terms of body language here. A lot of statements were made. One of the most telling for me was as they start to break down the situation where London allegedly lies about kissing Alexis. Alexis and London finger pointing at each other. Brent and Divine are looking back and forth like, here we go. Where it got real interesting, though, is that when Tommy turned to Divine to ask her how she felt about this situation, I loved her response. And basically, Divine made a choice. She said that, you know, she had to check herself Because in the scenario they are in on this reality show, it is a dating situation. And whether or not he kissed her really wasn't the issue anymore. The way I interpreted her comment was that she made a decision, she's going to be with him, and she has moved on. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have Alexis still trying to drill London about you kiss me and oh by the way as soon as it happened I went to a get together with some of the other girls from the cast and I told them you did it and I told Brent you did it London continually denying that he did this and further flipping it on Alexis to say that now you're trying to attack my character I don't know who did what Cece but at this point I'm over it too what's really going on here Yeah, it's a bunch of messiness and the same stuff over and over again. First of all, Alexis is still hurt. And I think it's so obvious that she's still hurt and she's just trying to be negative and hurt other people, that being London and or Divine. And in the process, she's hurting Brent, but she really doesn't care about Brent anyway. So he's collateral damage. So what? And I think that London, by him continuing... I think he's not being truthful. I do think that something happened. And I think that it's easy for her to get to the bottom of it. I'm not sure if this is being edited out or not, but you would think that she would easily be able to get receipts from the towing company to show that he paid for it or something to that effect, you know, but nothing like that has come up. You know, you could put this to bed, you know, and kind of make your point and let it be. But she's just talking about it and, and keeps saying the same thing over and over again. So I do think that there's something there and maybe London is not telling the truth, but I think she needs to let it go. And Divine did something, I think, twofold. One, by her saying that whatever happened, if you guys kiss, that was then. I've made a decision to move past that and look at what we're building now and in the future. I think, number one, that takes the sting out of what Alexis is trying to do. So it just makes her look like, you know, I'm doing all this for what now? Right. So that's one. So it was effective in that regard. The second part of that is it makes you question Divine's self-confidence because clearly to me, she was number two. Alexis was number one and Divine was number two. 
And it would be offensive to most women after London had pledged his allegiance, affection for Divine being his ride or die, that after all of that, and after Alexis has attacked him publicly and said all these negative things, and he's like, I'm done with you. Then right after that, he pays for her tow truck and kisses her. That would be troublesome for most women. But the mere fact that Divine has said, okay, I choose to ignore that, makes me scratch my head a little bit. It makes me say, okay, I get the strategic play by undercutting Alexis, so you're taking a sting out of what she's trying to do. But in another sense, it makes me question how you feel about yourself. And, you know, do you really have that level of self-confidence? Because most women would have an issue with that. Now, if you want to take it behind the scenes, and maybe she's taking London to task behind the scenes, okay, kudos to her. But that would be an issue with most people. So, But I want to quickly shift to talk about Brent and Alexis again. Brent looks like he is miserable. Agreed. Um, he didn't even deliver that line about him not being number two convincingly. And not I'm like, at all. brother, I'm like, brother, you are number two, maybe three, maybe four or five down the line, bro. She doesn't care about you. I don't really understand why you're still five, there. Really. I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand why he's there still trying to make whatever it is work. Like, Listen to this woman and what she's doing. And when he talked to Kimber by the water, water cooler, mm-hmm. I mean, you can feel his pain and his disgust. I yeah. mean, it was really bad. Like, he was just ready to walk out and say, I'm done with this. You know, so I really don't see where that's going to go anywhere. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Two things. Um, I, I don't think the situation with kissing London is so much a self-esteem play. He, here's why. First of all, remember, Divine went out on the date with Brent. So she was kissing Brent. So if this is such a big deal, you got to kind of bring that into play. Now, granted, it happened while the cameras were rolling, right? And at the same time, I feel like As I said previously, she made a conscious decision to say, look, I put that in the past. Yes, it absolutely took the bite out of whatever Alexis was trying to do in terms of throwing a shade. But at the same time, just feel like Divine made a conscious decision to move forward with that. I also believe that she probably did have words with him behind the scenes and got it settled. Because the other thing that I saw in terms of body language was it's clear to me that they are still kind of kicking it or whatever. And they're very active on social media. And so I feel like they're just trying to live their best life and move on. What I love is the fact that they acknowledge that the show requires you to kind of take a break and figure out what's real in terms of going forward. And Mm. that to me is important with any of these dating reality shows, because you may act a totally different way off camera. As far as Alexis and Brent, I agree. Brent looks absolutely miserable. I felt like Alexis was trying to control the narrative of their story on the reunion. So much so to the point where she had to kind of hold him back and be like, you know, I'll explain that later. Are you serious right now? What we explain later and we recording right now. What? (laughs) So I was a little bit mad at him. Sorry, bruh. But I was a little mad at Brent because if that's my boy, I wish you would. No. She played him. And so I feel like, you know, whatever they are doing, it's only through the duration of their reunion. And they're yeah. putting up putting a good face on it. But Alexis looked like she was trying to control it. 
and was frustrated and angry and mad that she ain't kicking it with mom and papa London (laughs) at the dinner table. Exactly. But that said, interesting wrap up to the season. I would encourage you all to take a look and check out season two of Ready to Love. Not sure what's going to happen with these couples going forward. I thought it was interesting that Tommy at the end basically counts that they have seven couples going strong. I don't know about that, and I don't know how long that's going to last. But what we do know is that Aisha and Mike, I love it. Congratulations to them once again. So we do want to spend a little bit of time talking about one more piece that happened on the show, and that was the interaction between Chica and Ashima. And we're going to postpone that till the next show in our Out of Love segment. Because we do believe it's very important that we shed a a light on this topic of how black men and black women communicate, interact, and receive information. An interesting dynamic took place during their exchange, and I thought it was worth spending some time on. So we're going to do a deep dive on that on the Art of Love on next week's show. Make sure you join us. We hope you've enjoyed our Ready to Love Rewind We'll be back with relationship topics on the art of love, our weekly hot topics, and we continue to challenge you to rethink grown on the topic of the day coming up next at 45 Show. And now for our rethink grown topic of the day, I want to talk about losing your virginity. Is this really a rite of passage or cause for concern? So here's where I'm headed, Cece. There's an article on theroot.com. Big shout out to Jay Connor, by the way, who did an amazing job. The story goes that rapper DaBaby, and I'm going to call him Kurt because his mama called him Kurt, was actually on a podcast with Angela Yee and talked about his first experience his recollection was that his first sexual encounter actually happened when he was five years old. Put a pin in that for a minute. Within that article is embedded a link to an interview with the comedian D Ray Davis. He talks about how he lost his virginity at age 11 to two 30 year old women. Put a pin in that. I'm now on Facebook surf and a popular group that I'm a member of posts a topic And the question is asked, at what age did you lose your virginity? As I'm scrolling through the answers, the answers run the gamut in terms of age, as to be expected. But I intentionally focused on the answers from the men. Age 14, age 12, age 11. And I know I'm sitting here in shock and disbelief. And I'm like, hello, this might be molestation. In another day in time, we might have overlooked this. We might have even considered this a badge of honor to these young men. But as you ponder the question and you think about where we are today, post R. Kelly and the allegations against him, we can no longer turn a blind eye or laugh at these stories. Pedophilia is real, and hear me, even when it happens to our young men. It is absolutely toxic, in my opinion, to congratulate and reinforce this level of dysfunction. There is no rite of passage we are talking about here. Times have changed. We know better. And as all things go, certain behaviors are handed down and taught at such an early age that they are accepted and overlooked. 
But here's the question. Since we know better, how in the hell do we do better by our boys, Cece? What are we going to do going forward? Great question, V. I think this is a very important topic and one that doesn't get discussed quite often. So I'm glad that we're talking about it a little bit today. But I think that there's a double standard when it comes to the sexuality of young men are losing their virginity at an early age compared to women. And I think that it's cultural. That double standard has been embraced by society over the years. And I think that we have to start there. I think you have to begin there as far as how do we correct this problem? We have to have an awareness about it within our society. And we have to speak up about it in a way that we're educating the masses that this isn't right. This isn't a badge of honor. This isn't something that you brag or boast about and help them understand the psychological damage that can occur from these young men having these sexual experiences, these inappropriate sexual experiences at such a young age. And so what we're talking about, V, we're talking about things from sexual abuse, sexual assault, to statutory rape, to molestation. When we use those words and we talk about young women, the world stops, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. But when we talk about young black men or young men in general at 5 or 11 or 12 losing their virginity, especially when you talk about a woman that was 30 years old, that child is being raped. Yes. That child is being a, being preyed upon. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to go to jail. And what's the residual effect for D. Ray Davis or anyone like him? How does that impact his life? and play out in his relationships, the way he he sees himself, the way he views sexuality. I mean, and does he have a handle on how that impacts him? You know, it's interesting. I had not heard this story, but I distinctly remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, D. Ray Davis is in a relationship with two women right now, if I recall correctly. I I heard something similar. But I believe that's the case. So now that you know this, he's doing what he's always done and always known. That's interesting, V, that you that you bring that up, because I did hear something to the same effect via social media, that somehow he had two girlfriends or something like that. I don't know if it was tongue in cheek, but I did hear something like that as Mm -hmm. well. It's really fascinating that you connected those dots because that's insightful. Right. Mm -hmm. That could be something from his past where, you know, he has some type of imprint on him, trauma that he's living out now. And that's the way that he thinks relationships should be and that's the way he's functioning as an adult which is problematic so i think that we need to educate society we need to educate our adults so they can better educate our kids but we also need to have honest conversations about this like we're doing today because we don't talk about it often and men actually think of it as a badge of honor right and so just culturally this is a double standard one of the few double standards that don't go in the favor of men. Most double standards, you know, are, in, you know, against the woman and mm-hmm. they're in favor of the man. This is one of the few ones that hurt men. Agree. Agree. It, you know, I, I think part of the concern here is as we take our Kelly to task and, and we kind of come after him and all these other individuals that are in the spotlight for allegedly committing these acts how does that break down in your everyday interactions with our sons? So 
as you're raising your son, as you're mentoring your nephew, what are you telling them? What am I telling the girls that I'm interacting with? What am I telling them? You know, the reality is in each of these cases, and again, we're not talking about two kids of the same age that are underage, right? We're talking about a scenario where the young man is somewhat younger than the the partner he is with who is female. In this case, you pause because you're not sure if this is a inappropriate situation, if someone is being taken advantage of, because again, we overlook it. We gloss over it. It's a badge of honor, as you called it, inappropriate by today's standards. And just one of many things that is going to represent a cultural shift in terms of ideology and how we think about these things as we raise this next generation of children. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of the message that you're sending? I know we got to talk about it, but how do we talk about it? I think the how is important, and I don't know all the answers to how do we go about executing it, but I do think that it starts with educating ourselves and having Mm -hmm. these honest and open conversations. And I think that it needs to come from an adult that the kid respects that's in their life. If it's not a parent, an uncle, or someone that understands and they're educated themselves and they buy into the idea that this is inappropriate and try to teach them an appropriate way to have relationships and for the young man to think about his own sexuality and sexuality in general, that it's not necessarily you have to go and conquer women. And if someone older than you tries to have sex with you, that's not a good thing. There's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with that woman. And by in turn, if that happens to you, that can break you to a certain degree. And now you have problems that you have to deal with as a young boy, as an adolescent, and throughout adulthood. So I think that those conversations have to be had. And I think it's interesting that even when we talked about it, this isn't exactly the same. But when we were talking about the Ready to Love segment, and we mentioned John being celibate, And how that was a large reason why we thought that he was kind of kicked off the show, which I agree with. But then think about that. If if that was a woman and she said that, you know, I decided to be celibate, the ire that would have been drawn from the community, right, against that show for taking that stand against the woman who said, hey, I'm reserving myself when I get married. So I'm not going to have sex, but I'm here ready to love. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have been tolerated. We saw a man saying that he's celibate and men and women had an issue with it. And they were like, whoa, you're damaged goods, bruh. And so, (laughs) which is crazy. Exactly. It's crazy, right? So, we need to talk about these things and and really kind of take a step back and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing to perpetuate these ideologies, right? Yes agree and and really bottom line is we got to talk to our kids we got to communicate but further it's the way in which we change the narrative at this point it's no longer giving people a pound or a dap because they got it in early and i you know i'm no dude but hey i've been party to some of these conversations and it's always been troubling to me even more so now That narrative has got to change, and it starts yesterday. For more information, make sure you check out theroot.com. The article is written by Jay Connor of the Extraordinary Negroes podcast. I love that name. And by the way, Jay, I won't stop putting sugar on my grits. 
Paula, make sure you leave us a comment on Instagram and let us know your thoughts on this particular topic. How do we do better by our boys as it relates to losing their virginity? As we consider all that 2019 is and was, be sure to take some time out to reflect and open your mind to what's new and what's next. One thing about being 40 and grown, we think we know everything. But guess what? This world we live in is rapidly changing. You have to stay one step ahead of your old thought patterns for the sake of your sanity and the sake of these young people we are raising or mentoring. This is why we challenge you every week to throw out that old way of thinking and hashtag Rethink Rome. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you as we kick off the next decade. Fortified is brought to you by your host, V from the D, and CC Power, with the super producer, Marv V, in the booth. New episodes drop every Throwback Thursday. Conversate for a few, cause in a few we gon' do what we came to do, ain't that right, boo? Sure.